hymn that we uh, are very familiar with, which we sing from time to time here, and I'm sure you have, if you've been in the Lord's Church uh, for many years, have sung it many times. Count your blessings. And in that uh, great old hymn, we are called upon to enumerate one by one the blessings that pertain to our being children of God. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. How long would it take to enumerate all of the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus? Ephesians 1.3 reminds us that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. One of those great blessings is the blessing about which I would like to speak for a few moments this morning. And that is the blessing of prayer. The blessing to the believer of prayer. I want us to look at the promise of prayer. I want us to see the power of prayer. And finally, the peace of prayer. It is a privilege. Prayer is. A wonderful privilege that belongs to the child of God. It is a promise, first of all, to the believer. And we understand that it's a promise to the believer because an Old Testament passage, Proverbs 28, 9, reminds us that he who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. That God promises, first of all, to hear the prayers of the faithful. Think with me about one particular passage, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And there John writes, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. There's the promise of prayer. And John in that passage says, we have this confidence this is the confidence that we have in him. The American Standard Translation says, this is the boldness that we have in him. And the idea of that word confidence is really a, an idea of boldness. It's an idea of, of plainness and openness, of being able to, to fully, if you will, pour out our hearts to the God of heaven through our mediator and high priest, Jesus Christ. You can pour out your heart to him. You can approach him with complete and utter confidence. Boldness, if you will. With a full assurance that, he says, if we ask anything according to his will, and that is a condition of prayer, that we ask in accordance with the will of God, that he hears us. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, there's something else we know. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, does that mean that those petitions will be granted? Is that what this passage is saying? That those petitions, the promise is they'll be granted in just the way that, that you asked for them to be granted, in the specific manner that you wanted, in the specific way, at that specific time? No, because we're to ask according to his will, and we're also to recognize something that Ron in his beautiful prayer has already pointed out to us as he prayed 
and we prayed with him to the throne of heaven. God is omniscient. God is omniscient. And God knows our needs better than we know our needs. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes a no is yes with God because of that one factor that we should never forget. God has the whole picture. And we do know that whatever the answer to the faithful follower of God, he hears. He hears. And he will answer our petitions in accordance with his will. You remember the prayer of Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was the petition from the very Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. And yet he added to those words, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he drank the cup, the cup of suffering that makes possible the very privilege about which we're speaking today for his children who have availed themselves of obedience to the gospel, meeting those terms, answering that call as we talked about in class this morning, the call of the gospel, we have that wonderful privilege because he drank that cup. Because he underwent that baptism, if you will, of suffering for you and for me. What a privilege prayer is. And we have a wonderful promise concerning it. And 1 John 5, 14 and 15 reminds us, those two verses remind us of that. If you go back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, there's another reassurance in that same epistle. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We'll talk more about the doing in conjunction with prayer in just a few moments. And again, the passage is not saying that he answers at the, at the time we think he should, in the very way that we think he should, but he is omniscient. He is omniscient, and he will answer in accordance with his will and what is truly best for his child, for his children. That's the promise of prayer. But what about the power of prayer? Is there power in prayer? Well, do we all need wisdom? Do we need wisdom? Do we need to be wise as we walk in this world? Yes, and James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the promise there concerns power, our second point, the power of prayer. I need wisdom, you need wisdom, we all need wisdom. Does that mean that God bestows wisdom upon us without our effort? The passage doesn't give us the details as to how that wisdom is bestowed. We know that it is not in the miraculous sense or in a direct miraculous way today as was the case with those who had miraculous knowledge under the New 
Testament period before this book was completed. We know that it, that wisdom is not granted to us today in that direct miraculous way. But we do know that we have the Word of God. We do know that we have the wisdom that we can obtain with effort from that Word, and we pray that God will bless our efforts, just as is the case with give us this day our daily bread. I believe the same principle can be applied to our praying for wisdom. God in His providence will provide that wisdom as we apply ourselves to, to the obtaining of that wisdom. Give us this day our daily bread, as we've said, doesn't, doesn't constitute a petition to God to rain down neatly cellophane-wrapped loaves of bread from heaven while we sit and do nothing. The prayer to give us this day our daily bread is a prayer to bless our efforts to provide our bread. And the prayer for wisdom is a prayer to bless our efforts to obtain that wisdom. How much time are we spending in that effort to obtain the wisdom that comes only from God? The most important wisdom we can possibly have. James says, pray about it. And then do all you can. Your part to bring about an answer to that prayer. Just as with give us this day our daily bread. But pray without doubting. And trust God to give us that wisdom through his providence. And sometimes that wisdom comes through brothers and sisters in Christ, not in a miraculous way, but by our willingness to seek out that counsel, the counsel of older and wiser brethren, and to gain wisdom in that fashion. Is that a gift from God? Of course it is. Miraculous gift from God? Of course not but through his providence. The power of God is released through prayer, but through providence and not through a direct miraculous means. It is sad <clears throat> that so many equate the power of God with the miraculous today. When the all-sufficient word of God gives us everything we need, as the word of God itself tells us, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And part of that work is prayer and the need to pray and the command to pray. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without doubting, as the passage we're looking at now in James 1, 5 through 8 reminds us. And don't be a double-minded man. That phrase double-minded is used only by James here and in James 4 verse 8. He seemed to have coined the phrase by inspiration of course. A man of two minds, torn, doesn't know which way to go. That's not the Christian. Shouldn't be. Because we have the promise of prayer and the promise of God's power released through prayer. Again, not always being released, perhaps at the very time we ask for it to be released, not in the very same way in which we ask for it, but with trust in that promise and trust in that power. The miraculous has ceased. I can read that in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. When that which is perfect or complete has come, Paul wrote, that which is in part will be done away. The in part in the context clearly is a reference to miraculous gifts that were needed when? When this book was still being compiled, if you will. But now that it is, the things are 
written to produce what? Faith. That's John 20, 30 and 31. Many other signs truly Jesus did in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but John writes, these are written that in order that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. We need to trust God's promise and trust his power released through the wonderful privilege of prayer. A wonderful, wonderful privilege. There's another passage in that same epistle of James that reminds us of that power that is released through prayer. And it calls upon us to be willing to confess our trespasses to one another. That's James 5, 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now notice this statement. Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's an important point to remember in James's statement here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for, what, three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That takes you back to the incident probably recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18 where it is not explicitly stated that he prayed, but he had his head between his knees, and every indication is that uh, he was praying, and that's the allusion uh, to it, uh, we believe here. But the point of James here, James's point is, Elijah was a man of what? A nature like yours and mine, and he prayed, and God answered. What's the point? You pray, and God will answer now, we pray for rain when we need it. We pray for rain. And there's no indication in that incident in 1 Kings 18 that that was a miracle. A little cloud eventually uh, showed up like the size of a man's hand, and then that grew. Well, that's how we get rain today. The point is that we don't, uh, we don't necessarily know uh, how God answers prayer in every sense, but we know it's non-miraculous and that it's through His, his providence. But the point that James is making here is that a man with a nature like ours, a human being, prayed, and God answered it. You pray, you pray, and God will answer in accordance with his will. And because of all of this, the promise of prayer and the power of prayer, there is logically and finally the peace of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for most nothing? No. Be anxious for nothing. But do what? Instead of anxiety, replace it with prayer and supplication along with thanksgiving. And there's always something for which we can be thankful. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which what? Surpasses all understanding. The world can't understand that kind of peace. Only the one who enjoys that wonderful privilege of prayer can understand the peace that flows from 
knowing that his petitions are heard and answered in accordance with the will of God, who knows best for us, far better than we know for ourselves. Only that person, that child, can enjoy the kind of peace about which Paul writes. A peace that's unsurpassed by any other kind of peace, by any kind of peace that the world clamors for and perhaps obtains temporarily before more hostility breaks out somewhere. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. Not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that surpasses understanding comes through prayer, according to this passage. But it comes also to those who are not just praying, but to those who are obeying. And that's the vitally important point for us to appreciate. A few verses later in this same chapter 4 of Philippians, after Paul has told us about the peace of God, he reminds us of the God of peace, where he says, the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Listen to it again. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Can we, can we call upon people to emulate our example in that fashion? That's what he was doing. Not only what I taught you, but what you saw me doing, emulate that. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me, Paul wrote there, as I also am of Christ. But that's the key. You imitate me as I imitate Christ. If I stop imitating Christ, you better stop imitating me. But don't follow men. Don't follow the teachings of men. But the point is, the peace of prayer comes not only to those who are praying, but it's to those who are obeying, and the two are inseparable. You can't have the peace of God from the God of peace unless you are doing the things about which Paul wrote in Philippians 4.9. And the Apostle John reinforces this teaching so beautifully and clearly in a very familiar text in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No forgiveness without prayer. But not just forgiveness through prayer, but forgiveness through prayer for the one who is also walking in the light, as God is in the light. The promise of prayer. It's a promise that is a blessing to the believer that is precious beyond description, should be to every single one of us. It is the means through which God's power is displayed in our lives as we petition Him regularly and as we trust Him to provide for us in between those times that we're not praying as we continue our walk in the light as He is in the light. And only by so doing, praying and obeying, do we have the peace that surpasses all understanding? 
But it comes according to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Through being anxious for nothing, but by what? Praying. With thanksgiving. Are you in a position this morning to know and appreciate the promise of prayer? To avail yourself of the power of prayer and to know the unsurpassed peace that comes from prayer. The answer is yes, if you're walking in the light, as he is in the light. That is, if you've obeyed the gospel of Christ by believing in Jesus as the Christ, by repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And if you're continuing to walk in that light, having done those things to be added to his church, the kingdom, saved by his blood that's applied in baptism and understanding that salvation, and being added to that body, the church, if you're continuing to walk in that light into which you came when you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ, the church, then you know that privilege. You have that privilege. You have that promise with assurance that you can approach the throne of God with confidence. You know that that power is being released in your life, not through miracle, but through the providence of Almighty God, and you have a peace that surpasses all understanding. But if you haven't obeyed the gospel, haven't expressed that belief through repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of sins, or if as a child of God you've ceased to walk in the light, he who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. If that's your situation, please change it by repentance, confession of sin that's public in nature, and come home to your first love as we stand to sing to encourage you.